Welcome listeners to the Overlook Podcast, which is one of the podcasts that is produced by Tunuka Media. I'm your host, Yemi, and every week I bring you Overlook stories from all over the world. The world is a vast and diverse place, so these stories will include the good, the bad, and the weird. Be sure to come back each week, share the podcast with your friends, and hit the magic subscribe button. To get regular updates on the show and what we're up to, connect with Tunuka Media on social media. Your support is priceless, so don't forget to give a like or a high rating wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Now, it's time for this week's episode. Hi everyone, Happy New Year and welcome back to the podcast. I hope you had that opportunity to rest, relax, and reconnect with loved ones over the holidays. Video calls were certainly the real MVPs over the last year. These companies need some kind of award. I'm not even sure what it is, but they need to make one up for them. So that being said, and now that we're back into it, let's jump straight into this week's episode, where we are starting the year with uplifting news from Germany. The German cabinet has now greenlit legislation that requires all publicly listed companies to have at least one woman on their management board. The underrepresentation of women in German boardrooms has been a matter of debate for years. According to the Albright Foundation, which works to promote boardroom diversity, just over 12% of management board members in Germany's 30 largest companies listed in the DAX index are women. By comparison, women make up more than 29% of top roles in the United States, about 25% in Britain, and about 22% in France. Under the new rules, listed companies with four executives or more must appoint at least one person to its board. In addition to the requirement for all publicly listed companies, there are stricter gender equality guidelines for companies where the government has an interest. For these companies, at least one woman must serve on a board where there are more than two members. Approval for the bill comes after a lengthy debate surrounding the issue. According to some sources, the new law is expected to affect about 70 companies, 30 of which currently do not have any women on management boards. The legislation is not entirely new and is essentially the extension of a quota introduced in 2015 that requires publicly listed companies with more than three management board members to allocate 30% of supervisory board roles to women. According to German Justice Minister Christine Lambeck, the law sends a very strong signal. She has also urged corporations to take advantage of the opportunity presented by highly qualified women. Our next story is coming hot, 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 hot from South Korea. According to recent reports from Korea, they have done the seemingly impossible by running an artificial sun nuclear fusion reactor at a scorching 212 million degrees Fahrenheit for 20 seconds. This is the same temperature as the core of the sun. So for a similarly new technology, this is pretty much a big deal. The reactor is called Korea's Superconducting Tokamak Advanced Research, or K-STAR. K-STAR is operated by the Korean Institute of Fusion Energy, or KFE, and it first succeeded at nuclear fusion in 2008. Since then, it has been advancing further in its achievements. 
The eventual plan is to integrate the K-STAR into the international ITER project. The ITER project is seeking to create the largest tokamak ever. So, what is this tokamak you speak of, Yemi? You may ask. According to some articles which I have provided links for, you can think of a tokamak as a power plant on steroids. Instead of using fossil fuels or nuclear fission, which is the splitting of atomic nuclei to generate power, tokamak uses nuclear fusion, which instead is the mashing together of atomic nuclei to generate energy. Nuclear fusion, as I've come to learn, is the lifeblood of stars just like our sun. So while being able to reach the temperature of the sun is nothing short of mind-blowing, the K-star still has a long, long way to go before getting as hot as the average supernova, which can soar to up to a billion, yes, that is billion with a B, degrees. This is a good place as any to share the fun fact that I found, actually, while researching the story. A supernova is actually the hottest natural thing in the universe. It is a transient event that marks the last evolutionary stage in the life of a star, basically just as it explodes. The temperature at the core during this explosion can soar up to 100 billion degrees Celsius, which is about 6,000 times the temperature of the sun's core. And while a supernova is the hottest natural thing, the boomerang nebula is the naturally coldest spot in the universe. It is about 5,000 light years away from us here on Earth, and its temperature is estimated to be minus 272.15 degrees Celsius. Given that I start to complain when the temperature drops below 10 degrees, I can't even begin to imagine just what that would feel like. In the Dominican Republic, President Luis Abineda has now signed a bill that unequivocally bans child marriage by prohibiting marriage for individuals under the age of 18. The new law also creates the Cabinet for Women, Adolescents and Girls under the Ministry of Women. This new law is designed to combat violence and encourage gender parity. Activists who had campaigned for the ban after noting legal loopholes that allow children to be forced into marriage were happy with the decision. The text of the bill, which is written in Spanish, highlights that according to a 2014 study by the National Statistics Office and UNICEF, 36% of Dominican women between the age of 20 and 24 years old were married or had entered into the union before the age of 18, and 12% did so before the age of 12. It also points out that the rate of marriages or unions of Dominican girls and female adolescents is well above the average for Latin America and the Caribbean, which is 23% for those under 18 years of age and 5% for those under 15 years of age. According to UNICEF, the Dominican Republic has one of Latin America's highest rates of child marriages and early unions, often with girls living with older men. This is welcome news given that, in the wake of the coronavirus pandemic, activists have feared that economic hardships could drive some parents to marry their daughters off at young ages. The violation of this law will be punished with the lesser sentence of imprisonment of two to five years and fines, which can be up to $20,000 in addition to the annulment of the marriage. This is great news, but I'll end the story off with a quote from Rose Elcarte, a representative from UNICEF. She says, 
Ending early unions will require years of work to change cultural norms. Researchers from Oregon State University in the United States have identified a spectacular new genus and species of flower from the mid-Cretaceous period that was frozen in time by Burmese amber. The new discovery potentially dates back to about 100 million years ago. You might know amber for its aesthetic appeal, but for paleontologists, the gemstone is a thrilling way to find answers to big questions about evolution, extinction, and the conservation of ancient ecosystems. The new type of flower was fossilized in a piece of amber found in a region of northern Myanmar. The discovery was actually made by a research team led by Dr. George Poynter Jr., who is a legendary paleobiologist who inspired Jurassic Park's author, Michael Christian. Dr. Poynter is known for popularizing the idea of extracting DNA from insects fossilized in amber. The flower is tiny, about 2 millimeters across, but it also has 50 stamens arranged like a spiral, with anthers pointing towards the sky. In recent years, amber discoveries have surprised paleontologists within an incredible assortment of ancient organisms, from spiders and prehistoric snakes to giant sperm and mammalian blood cells. This new fossil flower offers yet another sight into the ancient ecosystems from millions of years ago. Dr. Poyner and his collaborators named the new flower Valviloculus pleriterminis. The findings were published in the Journal of the Botanical Research Institute of Texas. Australians will now sing a different version of the national anthem from the 1st of January after Prime Minister Scott Morrison recently announced a change to the words. The anthem will no longer refer to Australia as young and free. In an attempt to reflect the country's long indigenous history and recognize the more than 300 national ancestries and language groups within Australia, instead, people will now sing, For We Are One and Free. The announcement was a surprise, but welcomed across the government. Prime Minister Morrison said that changing young and free to one and free would take nothing away, but add so much. He also said that a change celebrated the unity Australia formed during the pandemic. Australia as a modern nation may be relatively young, but the country's story is ancient. Many First Nation people inhabited Australia for tens of thousands of years before it was ever colonized by mostly white English settlers in the 18th century. In recent years, Australia has made greater and greater efforts to recognize indigenous history in cultural and political events. For example, in December 2020, rugby players for the Australian national team sang the national anthem in an indigenous language for the first time. The team sang in the language of the Ura Nation, a group of peoples from the Sydney area, before performing the anthem in English. Also very recently, Johnny Mulak, also known by the traditional name of Una Armin, became the first Aboriginal person inducted to the Australian Cricket Hall of Fame. He was part of the 1968 Aboriginal team that became the country's first sporting team to tour internationally. The South Korean city of Changwon has thought of an interesting way to encourage its citizens to have more kids using financial incentives and it is pretty tempting. The city has been dealing with a declining population. 
And so according to local press reports, the city is now offering a loan of nearly $100,000 for couples who have at least three children. Hold up. I know you're wondering, Yemi, but it's a loan. Listen, if the couple gives birth to one child, the interest on the loan will be waived. For two children, 30% of the loan's principal will be forgiven. And if the family has three children, the entire loan is forgiven or becomes a grant. Meanwhile, the local government has also announced plans to create more jobs by attracting companies and subsidizing housing for workers and university students. The goal is to create 20,000 jobs by the year 2025. This would also hopefully boost the local population. Local news reports have attributed the drop in fertility rates to long working hours and the lack of job opportunities in South Korea's competitive market. This has apparently also led to the drop in marriage rates among Koreans in their 20s, 30s, and 40s. So, do you think financial incentives are an effective way to encourage couples to have more children? Let me know what you think on the Tunuka Media Instagram page. The link to connect is in the show notes for this episode. Our final story today takes us to the African continent where the African continent's free trade area has now come into effect starting on the 1st of January 2021. Now in effect, AFCFTA represents the largest free trade area in the world based on the number of participating countries since the the establishment of the World Trade Organization. According to the African Union, the agreement will lower trade barriers and promote regional economic integration by initially requiring signatories to remove tariffs from 90% of goods and allowing free access to commodities, goods, and services across the continent. The agreement covers a market of more than 1.2 billion people and up to 3 trillion in combined gross domestic product, with the potential of increasing intra-African trade by over 50%, according to the United Nations Economic Commission for Africa. According to the World Bank, the agreement has the potential to add $76 billion in income to the rest of the world. Also, according to the African Union, the percentage of trade that African countries do with each other is currently a mere 16 to 18%. The bulk of the continent's trade happens with the rest of the world, and most African exports are in raw materials, including extractive commodities like oil, gas, and minerals. For producing finished goods, which are then resold to the continent at much higher prices and are vulnerable to market volatility. The agreement establishing AFCFTA was signed in March 2018 in Kigali, Rwanda, following the conclusion of the main legal text. 54 member states of the African Union have signed and 30 countries have deposited their instruments for ratification with the chairperson of the African Union Commission. The AFCFTA is an opportunity for countries and companies to help each other grow as they have done in other regions. The agreement certainly is more complex than I am able to convey in this podcast. But I have also included the link to a nine-page question and answer document for those who would like to learn more, perhaps if you would want to start trading in other countries on the continent. Specifically, on the blog, it will be in link number five under this story. That last story brings us to the end of this week's episode. I hope you found these overlooked stories interesting. I know I certainly did. So have yourself a great, great week.
Thank you for listening. Don't forget to tune in every week for a new episode. Overlooked is a Tunica Media production, which also includes shows like Africa in My Kitchen with more on the way. So follow Tunica Media on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter to be in the loop. Until next time, have yourself a great week ahead.